Hello and welcome to Grace Life Tigerberg. We are a gospel-centered church family focused on reaching the unreached and making disciples. We pray this teaching will help you to grow in your relationship with Jesus and discover more of the reality of Christianity. Awesome. So we're coming to the end of our, our series and our theme that we're looking at, um, Discovering Jesus family which we looked at last week and then uh, experiencing life which is what we'll be looking at this morning and uh, I'm excited to get into into the word and uh, as we're getting into the word uh, purpose in your heart like be be a, an active listener don't just be passive don't just sit there and and uh, um, approach this this time together as a as a classroom where you're sitting and you just uh I don't know, maybe there's some good students in the room where uh, you made very good notes at varsity and at art school. Um, I didn't make great notes. Like uh, oftentimes I was just in class and I was just there to get my attendance uh, a tick. But uh, that's not what, I don't want your attendance tick. Like I'm not going to take attendance of who is here this morning. That's not what it's about. It's really about uh, purposing and being intentional about you growing and you maturing. Um, like God will share, one of the reasons we're gathering is in order to to mature to grow together in our relationship with God and with one another and what that's going to require on your part is to to engage to 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 where there's where it's appropriate to ask questions to yourself and to go and investigate those questions and the things that we're talking about after this meeting and and talk about some uh, talk about some of these things afterwards that's one of the things that we value as a as a as a family is feasting on the word together what does that mean? It's like whether you go to a buffet. If you go to a buffet, the first person dishes up the, the, the meat first, like Aubrey will do the meats first, and then uh, myself, I might do the desserts first. All of us, like, uh, we go to the buffet and we're going to go start somewhere else, depending on our preference. And so uh, it's, uh, it's the same with the Word. When we come together and we've received a, a nourishing meal afterwards, when we're feasting together, someone might share something with you that you haven't even thought about, that the Holy Spirit revealed to them. And by you sharing with them, they're getting something that they haven't even thought about. And so together, the, the, the meal is so much more nourishing and uh, so much more fruitful. So uh, let's, uh, let's make some notes so that if someone asks you afterwards, what stood out for you from the Word, you don't stand there and be like, Jesus? It's a good answer. It's a very good answer. When in doubt, Jesus is a, is a good answer. Um, but uh, let's, let's, let's be more, more mature than that. Let's, let's be attentive this morning in our, in our hearing and in our listening. So experiencing life. So what is life? Life is life. Na, 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 na. <laughs> so this, this was in my notes. So it's not like a, in the moment it was spirit-led and it was original, and, but it feels different when you're doing it here. Um, but I really like that song. Uh, we listened to it in the car and Catherine was like, yo, it's not like that catchy. She's, and I'm like, it's before your time. That's why. <laughs> and the thing is, it's funny because uh, I often make that joke, and the, 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 the fact is she does know the song, but she can't appreciate the song. And so uh, um, maybe for some of you, you don't know what I'm talking about right now. Like Yuvan, I'm sure you don't know what's going on right now. Why did you come to church? Um, we're going to get into the word, don't worry. Um, but uh, what is life? We have to ask that question. Uh, and a, a question to follow up with that is, what is an experience? An experience, and, and we're talking about experiencing life, an experience is really something personal to every individual. Like maybe you've had certain life experiences, good or bad, and those life experiences often determine the, the direction and the course of our lives. And uh, if it's bad, I want to encourage you to, to, to 
to not allow that bad experience to shape and determine the course of your life. If it's good, if it's Bible, if it's Jesus, then please allow it to shape the course and the direction of your life. But experiences are personal. It's, it's not just intellectual. Sometimes it starts with something intellectual, a, a thought or, or an idea that you have, but then eventually it leads to a practical application. It, 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 it leads to you being moved by something or moved into a specific direction if you experience something. For example, if you've experienced an amazing restaurant or amazing uh, cup of coffee, anything, you talk about it. It leads you to talk about it because you've had an experience. And oftentimes, you, you can think so much about that experience that it actually starts uh, um, getting your, 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 your saliva working. And then drool starts to form. Like You, you, you can start smelling the, the, the lamb chop that is like being sizzled on the fire. And it's like that And then like the, the, the aromas that are being set off and... And just the smell, I get you like, like your, your, your mouth watering. And, and so experience is something personal. And God wants us to experience Him. And He wants us to experience a life and the life that He brought us specifically. And that life is called the Zoe life. Life that transforms. Life that doesn't just leave you the same. Praise God that, that Jesus isn't about changing you per se. He's not about, okay, now I need to change Sanzel. I need to change Bertu. Like, these, these characteristics and habits of bad to need to be changed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get him to receive my life and then I'm going to change him. That's not the heart of God. But his heart is very much that you be transformed. But the way that he goes about it is through relationship. And that is not what religion says. Religion tries to change our lives, tries to get us into behavior modification. That's not life at all. That is not Jesus. But the Jesus kind of life that he desires for us to experience is life that transforms. Life that overflows. Say overflow with me. Overflow. Okay, it's very important. It's not, it's not stagnant. It's not a puddle of dead water. It's flowing water, streams of living water gushing forth from you. That is life that overflows. That is the life that he desires for us. Life which doesn't stop, but life that gives life. Think about that. Yes, eternal life for you, but life that gives life. How do you give life? Not just naturally giving birth. But the, the, the cool thing is that you can spiritually give birth to other people. Maybe you've never thought about that. How does that happen? Through sharing the gospel, the seed of life. You plant it in someone's heart. They receive Christ. Guess what happens? Someone is born for the first time, into real life, eternal life, life with God. And so all of us get to make spiritual children, so to speak, because we're married to Jesus. So it's not out of wedlock, praise God. These are cool thoughts that you need to think about. Like, we get to bring life. We, need, we get to uh, build God's family, expand His family through sharing the gospel, the seed of life, Jesus. Let's go to John chapter 5, verse 39 quickly. And I almost want to tell Peter, I had a chat with someone um, over the weekend, and uh, they talked about like when we have scriptures on the screen, and it's nice to have the scriptures on the screen, but it does make us uh, um, a little bit lazy at times. Because the scriptures are on the screen, so I don't need to bring my Bible to church because the scriptures are on the screen. Or Obviously none of you, like all of you guys are making notes, your Bibles are open, that's great. Uh, but I want to encourage you guys, even though the, the scriptures are on the screen, uh, make notes of, of the, the scripture references. Um, open up your Bible. Maybe, maybe there's something the Holy Spirit wants to show you. 
um, be, be, before the specific verse that we're looking at or, or a little bit later. And I'm not telling you to get sidetracked. Please don't get sidetracked. Like, but be attentive. Be, be sensitive to the Spirit's leading because He's not just using uh, my message and using me this morning as a vessel to navigate and to minister to you guys, but He's specifically ministering to you and speaking to you specific things. And if you're attentive, you can make notes of that and He can lead you somewhere special uh, and even somewhere that you can go and meditate on and think about afterwards. So let's be open. Let's be uh, engaging this morning in the time together. So John 5, 39 to 40. You are busy analyzing the scriptures, poring over them, hoping to gain eternal life. Everything you read points to me, yet you still refuse to come to me so that I can give you the life you're looking for, eternal life. So you are busy. Maybe uh, the world even, the world is busy looking for things, looking for things to, that satisfies, looking for things that fulfills, looking for things that they can find a purpose and belonging in. And the, 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 the scribes and the Pharisees of Jesus' time, uh, they were busy. They were busy with something. And that something was closer than the rest of the world looking for something in uh, um, music or looking for something in uh, money and all of these places. So they were a little bit closer than the rest of the world. But who, if you know, if you miss the mark, you miss the mark. Missing is missing. It doesn't matter how far you've been off. Off is off. If food is off, doesn't matter how off it is, you don't want to have it. If it's one day off, two days off, three days off, like if it's off, it's off. And so the very same way for us, we don't want to be off. We want to be on the right path. We want to look at what life is all about from Jesus' point of view. They're pouring over them, hoping to gain eternal life. So they were hoping for something. They were desiring something. And then Jesus says, everything you read points to me, yet you still refuse to come to me so that I can give you the life you're looking for, eternal life. Only Jesus can give us eternal life. Only Jesus can give us life that overflows. He created us. He formed us. So it does not matter what you think life is about. It doesn't matter what the world has, has shaped your mind and your heart into, into thinking what life is about. Only our Creator gets to determine and define for us what life and overflow is all about. And that's why we get together on Sundays in this fashion. It's not because we have to. Praise God that uh, um, our ministry is not built upon what we have to. It's, it's built upon overflow. Receiving from Jesus and being, as Jesus said, he was, a, he was moved with compassion. I was moved to want to be here this morning by spirit, by desire. I wanted to be with you guys this morning. Maybe you didn't want to be with me this morning. I want to be with you this morning. God wants to be with you this morning. John chapter 4, 13 to 14 says, Jesus answered and said unto her. Um, God will look at this, this passage of scripture and this, uh, this account of the Samaritan woman a little bit more in detail a few weeks ago. We're just going to look at these two verses. Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. Jesus used something this woman needed and something that was important to her. And he used that and he showed her that he's got something similar, completely different though. 
because of something that she needed and that, that, that she felt like this is life. And water is life. If you go without water for a few days, you will die. So please don't go without water, naturally speaking. But Jesus used something that is essential for life, naturally speaking, and he used that to draw to her there's something that is life-giving that is more important than water. Why is it more life-giving? Because it's eternal. Your life here on earth is temporal. It's a few years. 80 to 120. Let's just use that as a, as a, as a benchmark. 18 to, 80 to 120 years, and then it's finished. But there's a life after this life. And that's important to realize that. And so Jesus was drawing this analogy, but he was also... Stressing the importance of this life is not just for the after, but it's for the year now. Life that overflows year now. Because he says, This water that I shall give you shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. The Greek, the Greek verb here for springing up is the word halomeneo, which sounds like alumi, but not at all. Um, so it's not that, it's completely different. Um, and it, this, this word springing up in the Greek was, 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 was never used for inanimate objects. It was never used for dead objects, like water, so to speak. It was always referring to people, living things. And so this, this jumping up or this springing up, this leaping up, the Septuagint translates this verb elsewhere as an activity of the Holy Spirit, which is what we know what Jesus was referring to here in John chapter, chapter 4. But it's cool to see this as in other versions or in other uh, places of the Bible, it's talking about uh, um, an activity of the Holy Spirit. So God's desire for your life is to be active with the Holy Spirit. To have activities and signs of the Holy Spirit of a living God. Last week we talked about unity. Unity will be a sign to the unbelieving world that Jesus came to die. Jesus was raised from the dead and now His Spirit is uniting us together. And so activity of the Holy Spirit is an essential sign for, for the world to see that God is alive. We don't have a dead God that is in the tomb. The tomb is empty. Jesus is risen. Now He desires for us as He's ministering to this woman at the while. He's desiring for, for this life to not just be dormant, not just to be a, a kind of a deposit that you can cash out at a later stage. But it's a life that He desires for each one of us to, to experience right now. And not just for us to experience. Because sometimes we, as a Christian world, we camp on and we become so self-centered in our Christianity. None of you, obviously. Just those who didn't come. Who's at the Cape August? We're praying for them. No, I'm joking. It's, it's fine. Let's not go there. Uh, we bless the Cape August. And uh, we hope that everything there goes well. But I also pray that everyone there is missing the, the, the gathering this morning, miss, missing this, 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 the purpose of the church coming together to minister to one another, to, to, to praise God together, to be about the Father business, uh, which is for the world to be saved and to come to knowledge of the truth. God's desire, Jesus' desire for us is, is to experience Him, to experience life and that life to overflow, to be filled with activities of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 14, verse 5 to 9 says, Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is not a version 
of a way. He's not a, one way to get to the Father. He is the very way. He is the very life. He is the very truth. No one comes to the Father except by me. If you had known me, the Amplified Classic says here, have learned to recognize me. That's something for all of us. There's one thing to know Jesus. It's another thing to recognize Him. And that recognizing comes through relationship. Because I can know Bertu, he's a little bit his ins and his outs, and I know him pretty well. I know that he likes Boltong, for example. If you didn't know that yet, then uh, uh, you don't need to know him that well to know that he likes Boltong. He generally smells of Boltong. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> just joking. But there's a, there's a knowing that requires time spent. And each one of you, the, the, the greed to, to watch you knowing someone well, there's one thing that is essential that has led to that. And it's time spent. Time spent with someone. And the same thing God desires for us is time spent. Church, I'm not just talking about coming here and just sitting and... and just picking a box. You get to determine whether this is time well spent or not. I can't determine this for you. We in the Word. I'm having a great time here. I've prepared this Word for you guys. I know that it's life-giving. But whether you're receiving it as such is on your part. I can try and break this open for you. Uh, I can try and open up your heart to be receptive. But it's witchcraft if I pray something that is against your will. God doesn't do that. God doesn't force people to believe in Him. He doesn't go against man's will. He's given us free will. And so as men, as, uh, as, as children of God, we should do, be doing the same and understand our jurisdiction. We cannot override someone's free will. It's important to know this and to understand this because it helps us to navigate through difficult relationships more so and, and to navigate through ministry knowing that we can only do so much. People need to respond. People need to open up their hearts and use their free will and come under, submit to the Word of God and then experience life-giving and exaltation from God. If you had known me, had learned to recognize me, you would have also known my Father. From now on you know Him and have seen Him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. Cause us to see the Father. That is all we ask. Then we shall be satisfied. What is Philip saying? He's, he's, he's understanding that there's a satisfaction. There's a joy. There's an experience to have. But what they thought it was about was completely off. And Jesus said, he replied, Have I been with all of you for so long a time? And do you not recognize and know me yet, Philip? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say then, show us the Father. There's also such a beautiful picture, and all of us, I believe, understands this concept of the triune God, God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But it's very important, even this past week at Live Group, um, we talked about just, just what Jesus gave up and how Jesus dying, oftentimes we have this picture of Jesus dying, and maybe this is going to bless someone. I trust it will. We often have this, this picture of Jesus, the Son of God, all-powerful, authority, healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out demons, and just performing signs, wonders, and miracles, left, right, and center. We're kind of seeing that, that version of Jesus with that power and that, that authority. 
and we see him going to the cross and we think like, God, wasn't that bad? Like, it was obviously not that painful. He is, he is God after all. Right? We, we kind of diminish what we see in the crucifixion and the, 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 the sacrifice and the shame and everything that Jesus went through, the pain, the torment. He died as a physical man, as you and me would experience death and the crucifixion. But he was still God. The amazing thing with that as well is that, and this is something also super significant to understand, is that Jesus dying and his life being poured down for us or giving a sacrifice for us, it wasn't something that they overpowered him and took him. Jesus gave over. That's humility. Some of you need to maybe give over. There's some things that you're holding on to. Things that you want to control. Things that you're not ready to let go of. And as Jesus let go of and gave over power and authority in order to accomplish something that was going to change the, 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 the whole history of mankind, He chose that instead of His immediate comfort, so to speak, or, 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 or the power and authority that he knew that he had. That is meekness as well. Meekness is power and authority under control. That's important. A lot of Christians got a lot of power and authority, but no control. You get your ministry opportunity with your Islamic friend, and you want to give them the whole Bible in 30 minutes. And it's just confusing. Or you, you get an atheist friend and, and you just want to share, share your amazing revelation with them. How, how God is your father and how he's amazing. And you have these intimate moments of, of just a Abba father and it's Papa. And it's, it means nothing to them. But at least you having a kick out of sharing with them, right? I'm being sarcastic, guys. Meekness is power and authority under control. Knowing what you need to say in the moment. Being humble enough to just keep quiet for a few moments to hear what the Holy Spirit wants you to share with them in that moment. It's very important. We, we, we should learn and, and, and grow in this, this, having this attitude of humility and, and, and meekness for us to really be effective in our ministry to the lost world out there. Let's go to John chapter 10. And so Jesus here is uh, uh, illustrating something very important in John 14 where he and the Father is one. And, and if, you, if you spend time with Jesus, then you'll see the nature, the heart of God. And that's what a lot of the Christian world and even a lot of the, the non-Christian world, they can't come to understand. They're seeing God as, as kind of different personalities throughout the Bible, especially through the Old Testament. And that's not God at all. The definition of God is found in Jesus' words here, the, the character, the nature of God. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 10, verse 1 to 5, says, Very, verily I say unto you, He that enters not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that enters in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the porter opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And the stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, 
for they know not the voice of strangers. Now we'll carry on uh, in verse 6 in a moment. Just want to highlight here. So, so this is a very practical illustration. Jesus oftentimes, and this is a note for us also to, to take off. In John chapter 4 we see this, where Jesus engages with the woman in something very natural. And he quickly takes that natural to a spiritual conversation. And even here when he's using, oftentimes throughout the word he's using analogy that was applicable to his audience. Shepherds, sheep, the porter, the, 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 the guarding of the sheep. Talked about farming oftentimes. And this is something to, to learn and to, to be sensitive to your, your audience and the people that you're ministering to. Don't just have a cookie, cut, a cookie cutter approach in your ministry to people. Thinking that every situation is going to look the same. No, be sensitive to the spirits leading in the moment. And there'll always be opportunities. It's just a matter of whether you're sensitive to see them and then secondly have the courage to take them. Right? So there's three aspects to everyday life and everyday witnessing. It's, 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 it's knowing that there's opportunities, seeing them, and then taking them. And in taking them, to, to be sensitive to not just have a cookie-cutter approach in witnessing to someone. Every individual is unique. Their life is unique. Their experiences are unique. And the Holy Spirit wants to draw out specific things to you that that person is struggling with and wants to show you so that you can help them overcome those things so they can open up and receive the gospel. And so here Jesus is talking to, to, to uh, using a natural concept again of, of a sheep going in. And, and in, this, in this context, the sheep would go to graze during the day and then at night they would all go into the same pen. Different shepherds, but all of the sheep going into the same pen, sleeping together. And then there would be a porter, a, a, a watchman, so to speak, at the gate guarding any, any people coming in. And that's why Jesus uses this analogy also of people trying to get in through all other means. And he says that there's only one way, and that's why also I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. There's only one way to experience life, and that's through Jesus. There's a lot of religions that says you can experience life through this. Just be a good person and you experience life. That's a lie from the devil. How can I say that? Because it's not in the Bible. The Bible, so just by the way, and this is super important, and I know the ministry school students learned this the past few weeks, the credibility, the infallibility of the Bible is supernatural. There's nothing like that. The historic proof and evidence to the Bible, it's supernatural. I encourage you, come and speak to me afterwards. I'll, I'll send you in the right direction. Resources that are vast, proving the credibility of the Bible, external resources, not just Christian. It's amazing. It's things that we need to come to understand. Why is it important? Because what we believe in the Bible is true. But if we can't engage with someone and show them the, the credibility of what we believe and where it comes from, they're not going to be interested. And that's what Christian apologetics is about. It's learning how to make a, a case for what you believe. It's not good enough just to say that I'm a believer. Why are you a believer? Um, my dad and my mother, they were a Christian and so they brought me up in a Christian home and then I thought one day like maybe it would be a good idea for me to also be a Christian. That's not convincing to anyone. What about the person who's born in Pakistan or Iran? 
What, 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 what are they supposed to make of that kind of testimony? They can do nothing with that testimony. So it's important for us to, to, to not just be Christian babies, but to mature in our Christianity. That's God's desire after all. Not just salvation, but growing in knowledge of the truth. And guess what? Growing in knowledge of the truth is not just going to happen by default. It's going to happen by you purposing it, you being intentional about it. So coming back to this passage. And when he puts forth his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him. Why? For they know his voice. So the different shepherds would come and when they take the sheep out, the sheep would know the, the shepherd's voice. And so the only way for you to follow Jesus is to know his voice. I know it's super, it's super profound and some of you might miss it. Sarcastic, it's simple. The Bible is simple. Christianity is simple. You cannot follow the leading of God if you don't know his voice. What do I mean by knowing his voice? Knowing his character, knowing his nature. How do you know his character and his nature? Know Jesus. How is Jesus revealed? The Bible. Jesus is revealed throughout the Bible. Genesis all the way through to Revelation. Jesus is the message of the Bible. They know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Where else do we see this word or this concept of stranger come in? In Hebrews chapter 13, very beautifully illustrates uh, this, this point to us. And it says from verse 8 to 9, Jesus Christ is the same. Say the same. He's the same when? Yesterday, today, and forever. Be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established with grace, not with meats which have profited them that have been occupied therein. So Jesus is saying they won't follow the voice of strangers. What is a strange voice? Is it something you haven't heard before? No. Because all of us at some point or time have never heard the message of grace. Right? So does that mean when you heard grace it was a strange thing? No. It was just new to you. It was something different. But what is the context of something being strange? How do we define whether something is strange? How do we define whether a sheep or a shepherd is wanting to, to, to lead us in a different direction? Because Jesus in this context is saying, you'll know my voice and you will not know the voice of strangers. How do we know if something is a strange doctrine? How do we know if some, someone is leading on us, us onto a strange path? Verse 8 tells us what that is based upon, what the foundation of strange is. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Is whatever you're hearing for the first time pulling away from Jesus? His death, His resurrection, and His spirit in the believer right now. If it is, it's strange. And don't go there. But if it's magnifying Jesus, His death, His resurrection, the Spirit of God in man, it's not strange. It might be a, a new way of you hearing it. It might be something you've never thought about or heard before. 
But it's not strange if it doesn't pull away from Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ from Genesis all the way through to Malachi. If it's not taking away from that Jesus, it's not a strange doctrine. Carry on, verse 6 in John 10. Jesus told the Pharisees this parable even though they didn't understand a word of what it meant. So Jesus went over it again. I speak to you in eternal truth. So it's not just the truth that was temporal for that moment, for that time. It's eternal. From the beginning to the time or to the end. The Alpha and the Omega. I'm the gate for the flock. All those who broke in before me are thieves who came to steal, but the sheep never listened to them. I am the gateway. To enter through me is to experience life. To enter through me, to, to go about the way that I destined and, uh, and, and desires for you, to do it my way, not your way, is to experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. Anyone here want to experience more life, more freedom, more satisfaction? I know there's more of that for me to experience. How are we going to experience it? To enter through Him. And this entering, as Jesus talks about in John chapter 15, abiding in Him is a continual thing. It's not just a, okay, now you planted and it's a done deal. Yes, you are planted. You are sealed with the Holy Spirit. It's not going to change. But your communion with God, your fellowship with God, your, your relationship with God is something that develops as you purpose and, in, and make it intentional. The same as any other human relationship. It's practical, guys. The degree to what you are having good relationships in your life right now is evidence of one thing, time spent. So if you want to grow in your relationship with God, it's going to require time spent. It's going to require asking questions, not just sitting there. So what are we going to talk about? Like, it's, it's investing into the relationship, asking questions, allowing the person to also speak. Because oftentimes we do all of the talking when we're praying and speaking to God, right? It's a hard truth. It's time spent. If you come to me, you'll experience life, freedom, and satisfaction. A thief. Now, verse 10 is very interesting, and it's a, it's a, it's a scripture we, we all quote um, from time to time. And it says, a thief has only one thing in mind. He wants to steal, slaughter, and destroy. But I've come to give you everything in abundance, more than you expect, life in its fullness until you overflow. King James, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come to give you life and life in its fullness. So, we often take that verse and we try and apply it to life in its fullness. In my context is four-bedroom house in Stellenberg, Eversdal, Valgemoet, two cars, salary of X amount of money, few kids, good schools, because that's what Jesus came to die for me for after, all right? Life in abundance, life in its fullness, because that's life in its fullness. I think all of us can testify. I'm playing with you guys. I'm, I'm trying to deceive you. I'm a devil's advocate here. Um, so in context here, Jesus is, is, is a painting a specific picture to us that there's a lot of things that is trying to be portrayed as, as life as fullness, as blessing, as abundance, as provision. But if it's not Jesus, 
but it's not his way. It is the enemy playing with you, baiting you into different things. Because his intent is to, is one thing, steal, slaughter, and destroy. And that stealing, that slaughtering, that destroying is anything and everything that is pulling away from your purpose as a child of God. His desire for you to experience Jesus daily, continually. To open up your heart and your mind with His leading, with His plans for your life. Not what job should you take? It's the one with the, the biggest salary. No. What job should you take? Where is the greater influence where I can actually share Jesus with people? It might be one that is a third of the salary of the other one. But if you're just going to be carnal and approaching that with, without consulting Jesus, so to speak, you'll by default take the one with the biggest salary. But that's maybe the one where your Christian witnessing will be so su suppressed that no one would even know you're a Christian. That's not God's will for you. And it's important to, to realize this, that the enemy is going to always go about trying to prevent us from walking in more of God's will for our lives, which is experiencing life, freedom, and satisfaction if we go about it His way. Experiencing life is about experiencing Jesus. He spread in us and His spirit overflowing through us. I love how the passion puts it here. Everything in abundance, more than you expect. Life in its fullness until you overflow. Now again, the prosperity guys of the gospel would, uh, would like to interpret this through uh, your bank accounts overflowing and this overflowing and that overflowing. But very little Holy Spirit overflowing through you where your life is actually impacting people's eternities. And it's nice if we interpret it through our bank accounts overflowing, right? We would like more bank accounts overflowing. I would enjoy more of that. But the message of the Bible is not a message of self-centeredness. Quite the opposite. You guys know the, the, the apostles? Jesus' disciples? I don't know of much account where that uh, one or even more than one else. I, I don't see much account of them having a lot of wealth. I don't actually see them living long lives, actually. Quite, quite opposite. They actually they died quite early. Not because of natural causes. They were murdered. Martyrs. Because they preached the gospel. And so a lot of Christianity has become self-centered, very out-of-context-taken Bible verses, and really strange pulling away from Jesus the message of the Bible. And we need to be very, very careful as Jesus shares with us here in John chapter 10. Very careful of the devil because he's all about pulling us away from Jesus, the message of the Bible. And he's deceiving, he's cunning, he's always been. So he's not going to come with an outright lie trying to force you into a different direction will be subtle. 
did God really say this? I think actually God wants you to have four houses. Definitely. Because uh, with four houses, you can, uh, you can put a few homeless people in the one house, and then you can also host a few uh, um, guest speakers in the other house when they come in. <laughs> Man, whoever that word is for, uh, receive it and uh, experience life the way that God wants you to experience life. Acts chapter 9, we're coming to a close. God is not against you having houses. He's not against you having things. He's not against you uh, being a successful business person. But uh, another truth that blessed me this past week, because I've got a business as well, and um, I'm not taking my business to heaven, guys. Sad truth, eh? I'm not going to have a business in heaven. So if I'm investing my whole life and my everything into my business... I'm investing into corruptible things, things that are decaying. There's only one thing that God wants us to be invested in, and that's people. And your business can impact people's lives, but is it? How much of your business is impacting people's lives for eternity? It's a question you have to ask yourself. Acts 9 verse 1 to 2. And so I want to look at just a... A few quick examples in closing of what activity of the Holy Spirit looks like. Because the Bible shows us activity of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen some of that activity this morning in the gathering. And and maybe in your life you've experienced activity of the Holy Spirit. But my desire and prayer for you is to have more activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Do you desire that? Some of you. Praise God. Because otherwise this was just a waste of time. My purpose for you, Ephesians chapter 4, is not for you to just get a good word on a Sunday morning. To have a good word that you can talk to your friends about on Monday at at work and feel good that you at least went to church and you didn't go to the Argus like them. I'm just joking. I'm using the Argus as an example. I don't know any any of our family actually, uh, if there is anyone there. Um... But the purpose of the, 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 the fivefold in Ephesians chapter 4 is for the equipping of the saints for their work of ministry. And so our work of ministry is going to require a lot of activity of the Holy Spirit. But I cannot get you to have activity of the Holy Spirit in your life. Because you've got a free will to suppress or to unleash and activate and cultivate that in your life. And that comes through the word. That comes through receiving a challenging word this morning. And let's look at some examples just to kind of get us going, get, like, get the, the, the spirit uh, bubbling forth at least and getting him stirred up. Acts 9 verse 1 to 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughtering against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him a letter to, do, to go to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, talking about Jesus and his followers, his disciples, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And then we see roughly three days passed, and Saul received his sight, and the Holy Ghost, and then what happened? So this is Saul, who we all know as Paul today. This is the account of Saul's uh, conversion and encountering Christ, encountering Jesus. Jumping down to verse 20, within the hour. So Jesus encountered or Saul encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was blinded with the light, and then roughly three days passed. So we can say roughly about four or five days passed, 
and then uh, he received the Holy Spirit. And it says, within the hour, he was at the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. Those who heard him were astonished. Why were they astonished? Saying among themselves, isn't this the soul who furiously persecuted those in Jerusalem and called on the name of Jesus? Didn't he come here with permission from the high priest to drag them off and take them as prisoners? This is activity of the Holy Spirit. Someone that once persecuted the church and a few days later radically went into the public places and preaching Jesus as Christ and Lord. So much so that people were afraid. People were astonished that this is the same guy. That's activity of the Holy Spirit. Have your, has your life been transformed into something that people look at you and be like, who's that? A good word is a challenging word. This is activity of the Holy Spirit. Lives that are transformed. Acts 4, 31 to 34. Uh, 31 to 34. And we're landing the plane. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. What did they do? They preached the word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind. Again, unity is a sign of the Holy Spirit. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them. This is again activity of the Holy Spirit. But praise God, oftentimes more so than not, when we see activity of the Holy Spirit, it is always accompanied by the preaching of the gospel. It's not just about having signs and wonders. Because a sign and a wonder without someone's heart being converted to Jesus is pointless. But we want to experience signs and wonders. It's not to diminish those things and to put them aside. But we need to get things in its proper balance. They testified powerfully of the resurrection of the Lord. It's the gospel message. 1 Thessalonians 5.18 Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Not be thankful for all circumstances but because not everything in your life is good. So please do not be thankful for tragedy, but you can be thankful in tragedy. And that's an activity of the Holy Spirit. None of us want that activity, right? Because it's not that exciting to be thankful in all circumstances. When it's going bad, when I've lost my job, or when I didn't get that promotion, or this didn't happen, or, or my friend is mad at me, like I'm not going to be thankful in that because it's not that glamorous. That's an activity of the Holy Spirit in your life when you're thankful in horrible circumstances. And guess what? Before you know it, someone would come and ask you, why are you so, so joyous all the time? Why? Like, you didn't get that promotion. Someone who worked here for less than a, a few weeks, they got that promotion that you should have gotten. Why are you thankful? Why are you still happy? Why are you rejoicing? Why, why are you the happiest person in this, in, this, in this office? I've got a story for you. His name's Jesus. And this is an activity of the Holy Spirit. And that's something that we need to come to desire because that's God's will for us. Not to just get promotions and have more money so that we can give more into the gospel. Philippians 2 verse 4. Abandon every display of selfishness. Possess a greater concern of others 
instead of your own interest. Again, activity of the Holy Spirit. Selflessness. Last passage, Acts 19, verse 11 to 12. God kept releasing a flow of extraordinary miracles through the hands of Paul. Because of this, people took Paul's handkerchief and articles of clothing, even pieces of cloth that had touched his skin, laying them on bodies of the sick and diseases and demons left them, and they were healed. This is, this is something completely strange and foreign to us, but it's not strange to the message of Jesus. People were healed. People were set free. That's God's desire for us. But these people, more likely than not, were believers. And if they weren't believers before this happened, I'm pretty sure someone got to them eventually to preach the gospel to them so they could not just be healed, but so they can be restored in their relationship with God. This is all activity of the Holy Spirit. You can find more of our free teachings on our website www.gracelife.ca And if you're ever in the Tigerberg area, we invite you to join us for one of our gatherings. Our aim is to help you discover Jesus, find family, and experience life. To contact us, or to find out where and when we meet, visit our website www.gracelife.ca